Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Today we're beginning a, a brief series before Advent, and the name of the series is What is the Holy Spirit Saying to the Churches? And we didn't just make that up. That comes straight out of Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, where Jesus speaks to the local churches in Asia Minor, and he says, those of you that have ears to hear, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. And so I wanted to take a few weeks for us to do just that, to do what Jesus said, and for us to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us now in this moment. And we're convinced, aren't we, that if we'll take time to open the Bible, to sit with the Lord, to dialogue with one another, to say, Lord, speak. We, we want to hear what you're saying. Highlight scriptures. Speak to us. And we want to be like, let's start with this verse. Look at 1 Chronicles 12.32. This is an interesting verse that I want to lead off with. And then I'm going to share a few themes, a few particular themes that I sense the Lord is speaking to this local church and to other churches in the region and other places. First Chronicles, and again, you can grab a pew Bible there. I encourage you to bring your own. We have Bibles out in the commons that you can take home. We have an NIV, we have an NRSV. We wanna make sure that everybody has a Bible. Yes, you can use your phone. But what if that phone isn't there someday, you know? Then you need a hard copy, right? Some of you are like, what does that even mean? Get a hard copy and start familiarizing yourself and look at the table of contents. So First Chronicles 12 is in a place that we would normally travel. But First Chronicles 12, 32. And it's called Chronicles because it's chronicling. It's giving the narrative of Israel's history during this time. And so tucked right there in chapter 12, it's talking about different tribes, different leaders, and it mentions those of Issachar. 1232 says those of Issachar, those who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kindred under their command. And so what I want us to do for the next few weeks is to ask for that kind of anointing, an Issachar anointing, that the Lord would show us and guide us. We would have an understanding of the times and know what we ought to be doing. How does that sound? And with everything swirling around us, now is a time to be able to understand the times because the Lord does not want us to walk in confusion or disunity. It's the Lord's heart for the church in cultural moments like this to actually emerge in power and have answers and to bring light because, friends, it's dark out there, isn't it? There is great darkness. 
And frankly, in places, it's madness and people turning on one another. And so the church should be unified. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We should be unified around God, around the word of God, around the kingdom of God, so that we can have understanding in times like this. And so we we can know what to do as the people of God. So today, we're going to do part one, and I'm going to share a handful of things. And then I'm going to come back in a few weeks and talk about part two. And these are just biblical ideas and practices, most of them right out of Scripture. And today, we're going to talk about what are really the main and plain things that I think the Holy Spirit is saying now, but underscoring in a particular way. And then in a few weeks, I want to talk about some that are a little more not main and plain necessarily, but a little more seasonal, like God wants to highlight these things. These are for now. Does that make sense? So these are perennial, ongoing things that we should always give ourselves to. And then I want to talk about some some other things. So the first thing that I sense the Holy Spirit saying to this local church and to the big C church is that we are to build our lives around the kingdom of God. The presence, the rule, the reign of God in Christ, that is what our entire life is shaped around. It touches everything. There isn't an aspect of your life, of my life, that should not be established upon and around the rule and reign of God in Christ. And so a prayer is, Lord, help us. Help us build our entire lives around the kingdom. Look at Matthew 6.33, a word from Jesus, one that might be familiar to many of you. Matthew 6.33, the Spirit of God speaking to the churches today through this word from Jesus in Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Another version, the New Revised Version says, strive for his kingdom. So he's talking about this in the context of all of the the things that pull at us, things that we need. Colt was addressing this, but Jesus is just saying, in the midst of life on planet Earth and all the different things that are pulling at you, your different needs, seek first the kingdom. And so I want us to think about that in a fresh way today. Friends, let's seek first the kingdom of God. Let's say, Lord, your rule and reign can touch every part of my life or I'm holding on to certain things, or I'm anxious about certain things, I ask for the rule and reign of God to touch that area in my life. We want to establish our lives. We want to establish the life of this church on the kingdom of God. Look at Matthew 13. So just a few chapters over in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 13, 44 to 45. Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever lived, 
was giving a number of parables, word pictures on the kingdom of God, the rule and reign, the presence of God, breaking into human history. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44 to 45. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so friends, as we move into this season, we want to be kingdom people. And I've been referencing John Wimber. I've got his biography here that's out in the Resource Center, and I dare you to read it without being deeply challenged and impacted. It's, I'm deliberately quoting from him and some of those early vineyard founders so that we understand some of the history and background as we move into the vineyard. But John Wimber said this, the call of the kingdom is not just one part of our life. It is all of it. So the call of the kingdom entails our entire lives. It's God's agenda, God's activity in the world. I was listening, I already referenced this, but I was listening to the Vineyard National Conference that they just had in Denver, and this young lady, I couldn't tell, she didn't say if she was from New Zealand or Australia, but I could discern the accent, and she talked about coming to her first vineyard gathering at a church, and that she heard for the first time in her life teaching about the kingdom of God, about the rule and reign of God. And she said in this meeting years ago that the presence of God washed over her in a way that she had never experienced as this person was simply teaching about the kingdom and it changed her life. So she was giving testimony. She was saying, I'd never heard anything about it. I had not heard someone speak so clearly about what the inbreaking of the kingdom is and how it's already and not yet and that we're called to be kingdom people. And she said, my life was changed and now I've given my entire self to proclaiming and demonstrating the message of the kingdom. It was powerful. A second thing that I sense the Holy Spirit saying to this church and to other churches deals with Worshipful, reverent friendship with God. Look at Jude 21. And I'm trying to take us into some places that we may not typically read. Jude 21. It's toward the end of the New Testament. It's only one chapter. So it's Jude 21. Right before the book of Revelation. This beautiful phrase here. Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so I sense the Holy Spirit saying to us, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that, Brock? Well, how would you answer that? If some young believer said, I want to do that, I want to keep myself in the love of God. It kind of suggests that you can drift away 
from it in some way. It's always there, but how do you keep yourself in it? How do you do it each day? We suggest regularly that this happens through daily time with the Lord. You schedule it, because if you just expect it to happen naturally, that's not going to happen. It doesn't work for me that way. So you've got to plan for it, whether that's in the morning first thing or middle of the day during lunch, at the end of the day. And so I want to encourage us, keeping ourselves in the love of God, daily time with the Lord, prayer, Meditating on the scriptures, like all relationships. If you want to keep yourself in the love of a relationship with someone else, how do you do it? You spend time with them. So friends, let's get under the Lord's waterfall of love every day. And we need it. Anybody else need it? Boy, I've needed it this week. And there have been a few days where I said, you know what? I'll just spontaneously make it happen tomorrow. And guess what happened? tyranny of the urgent. I ended up not doing it, and then my day was chaos. So I encourage us to spend time in the Lord's word at his feet. And friends, his love is flowing like a waterfall all the time. I'm not sure what image Jude had in mind, but keep yourself in the love of God. That means like a river, Like a waterfall, the love of the Father is pouring at all times. And so your time with him in the scriptures means that you're getting under that waterfall. And you're letting it pour into your heart. Todd read from Romans 5 last week. And it says that the Father has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. So friends, get under the waterfall. Let's do it this week. And then maybe we share that with someone else. Maybe someone else who needs to learn how to experience worshipful friendship with God. That's only part of the picture. In James 2.23, it talks about Abraham and it references Abraham as a friend of God. And this is a value here at the church from the youngest to the oldest. We want our people to be friends of God. And so, yes, it is about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. But sometimes we have to recover a sense of reverence and awe. You feel me on that? Just, it is. We're called into friendship. I can't remember the last time I said, you feel me. (laughs) But I just did. So we do. We're we're called the friendship, and Jesus says that in John 15. He says, I don't call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. And so there is a place of intimacy, keeping ourselves in the love of God. But friends, we've got to remember who it is we're serving and who we're dealing with. The infinite God of the universe that will stand before one day and give account for everything. And we'll be clothed in Christ, in the mercy of God, in his love. But I'm trying to practice this with fresh commitment. And so each day I have found if I try to have a quiet time in the house, I get distracted with numerous things. Some of you might say, well, go to a particular room. Well, I find a way to go into the barest room and pick something off the shelf. Or I find myself digging stuff out of the carpet. I I get distracted real quick. 
And so I have found the most effective way for me to cultivate friendship with God is take a walk and go to a place where I'm not distracted by a million things and I usually get a verse, I'll read a short little text and I'll pull one verse from that and have an arrow prayer and then I go for a walk. And I take that arrow prayer and I pray it to the Lord over and over again. We could use that Psalm 84, that would be a great thing. You could read that and then go for a walk and just say, Lord, better is one day in your presence than thousands elsewhere. So I I typically do that, get a little scripture, I go for a walk, and then I come home and I begin the day on my knees and on my face. Caleb McKean and I were talking about this. Something happens in us spiritually and physically when we're kneeling before God. So I want to invite you to do that. If you've got bad knees, get a pad. I've got a, I went to Ace Hardware and bought a pad that I can kneel on because after, you know, even 30 seconds, my knee is starting to hurt. So get pragmatic about it. But I would urge you to find a way to humble yourself before God. Yes, you're a friend. Yes, you're the bride of Christ. But God is awesome. The Son of God is awesome. And the nations tremble before God and before his Messiah. He speaks a word and the nations quake. We're his friend, but at the same time, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is clean. So we want both of those. We want intimacy and friendship, but at the same time, we want to stand in awe of God. Amen? A third thing here. What is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches? We're going to be talking about this more in the coming days, but if you'll put that up there. Ancient roots and practices. What do I mean by that? I mean that the way forward is usually found in the past. That if you want to see renewal, that often happens by seeing how renewal has happened in the past and rediscovering and recovering who God is and what God has done. This is why ancient Israel set up those piles of rocks. God would do something and then they would stack up rocks and say it was here that God parted the Red Sea. It was here that God brought us through the Jordan. It was here that God defeated our enemies, even though we were outnumbered 5,000 times. And so I want to invite us to go back into our Christian past and to experience renewal and empowerment through that. And I, I want to say something here. I think this is going to break over the entire vineyard movement in the coming days. I think that the vineyard movement has been around for over four decades and that the vineyard movement was recovering the whole prayer, come Holy Spirit, which was an ancient prayer, the Trinitarian experience of God. And then Jesus was teaching John Wimber from the Gospels. He wasn't doing anything new. He was doing the old stuff and helping the church recover the original stuff, what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Make disciples, teach them to do everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. So I want to invite us as future All Saints Church to recover 
biblical truth, first of all, but I also want to continue to invite us into the history of the church. And by that, I mean the stuff before 1517. Here it is today. It's Reformation Sunday. And so as a Protestant church, we acknowledge that in 1517, Martin Luther in Germany took 95 arguments, the 95 theses, and he nailed them to the church, which was called All Saints Church there in Wittenberg, Germany. And he said, these are my arguments for the reformation, the renewal of the church. We've gotten away from the Bible, and we've gotten away from salvation by faith through grace. And so he posted that publicly, and a reformation occurred. What we often don't hear is that the reason that happened, what inspired Martin Luther and John Calvin and other leaders is because they were immersing themselves in the Bible in new ways. They were saying, we have to recover the truth of Scripture. What does Scripture say about the person of God, about the work of Christ, about our salvation? Is it by works? Is it by giving money to the church and doing these things? Or is it by faith alone? And all of that happened. The renewal, the reformation in the church 500 years ago happened by them rediscovering, going back to the sources. But friends, it wasn't just the scriptures. They also, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and others began to read the early church fathers. Those people that were writing four and 500 years after the book of Acts. And if you want to know what the early church fathers were about, it is meditation on the Bible and application of it. That is what the early church fathers wrote about and gave themselves to. I love this quote. This church historian says this. Just listen to me for a minute here. He says, if you study the history of Christian spirituality, you will find that each time there is a spiritual renewal in the church, the desert fathers are present. Who are the desert fathers? They are some of those early church fathers in the first 500 years who gave themselves really to meditation on the Bible, to renouncing the power of empire, renouncing the political system of the day and saying we're kingdom people and we're giving ourselves to God and to the word of God. And a fire of renewal broke out throughout the world. And so friends, I want to invite us to discover, to recover our ancient roots. And what this will do, it will affect us individually. We'll want to read the Bible, memorize it, meditate on it like never before. The early church fathers talked about scripture, meditation on scripture is the primary way for prayer, but they talked about fasting. They recovered the ancient practice of fasting that Jesus did, and there's many forms of fasting. It's not just abstaining from food. Daniel and others show us there's different kinds of fasting. And the third one is interesting, is almsgiving. And so, friends, I want to invite us to recover our ancient roots, including those things. I'm going to talk about this later, but this is what the name All Saints represents our biblical roots, our rootedness in church history, that God's called us to be a holy, separate people, that he makes us 
holy and clean and righteous through the blood of Christ. And therefore, we're different. We're God's peculiar people. We're saints. We're holy ones. Saints is used 67 times in the New Testament. Every single time it's used for the ordinary, collective people of God. So this idea that there's one particular person who's extra saintly, no, friends, we're all saints. How far does the blood of Christ reach? All of us. If you open your life to him, you believe in him, you become a saint, a holy one, because he's holy and he's sharing his holiness with you, and then he fills you with his spirit, and you become a holy one, and then you get to walk it out your whole life until the day you die. We'll come back and talk more about this. Two quick things, then we're going to have ministry time. A fourth thing that the Holy Spirit is reminding us of, and that's community and relationships. I want to encourage us as a church, cultivate your relationship with Jesus and his people. Some people would say, I just want Jesus, not the church. That's short-sighted. Life in Christ is life in the body of Christ. Life in God means life in the family of God. God has set it up this way, hasn't he? 1 Corinthians 12 talks about it. There's one body with many members. We're all baptized into this body. We all drink of one spirit. We're interdependent on one another. We need one another, whether you realize that or not. One of the early church fathers, his name's Basil, he wrote this in the fourth century. Listen to this. If you try to live the Christian life on your own, whose feet will you wash? So friends, life with Jesus means life in his church, the people you like and the people you don't like. Those people that I call couches, and you're with them and you kind of recline back into it and it's nice and cozy, but the Lord also puts wicker chairs into your life and into mine. You know the chairs where you sit in it and it's kind of pokey? It's like, who would ever make a chair out of a wicker It's kind of broken. One of the legs is wobbly. The Lord wants us to have couch relationships and wicker chair relationships. That doesn't mean that some people are wicker chairs to everyone. We're all different. And so some of us get along with certain groups of people. And then in another context, we rub each other wrong. The Lord has designed it that way so that we love one another. We learn to work through things. We have hard conversations. I didn't realize coming back to work in the church, that was like half of my job description. I'm like, Lord, when do the hard conversations stop? Never. This is what it means to be in the body of Christ. And I tell you, a man and I were talking about this yesterday and today. I would trade it for anything. We had seven years where we tried to connect with a local church and we were outsiders and it didn't work out. We went seven years where we were just almost forcing ourselves, literally, hey, can we come to your house? We wanna be in your small group. We would go there. It wasn't very warm to say the least. It was seven years of difficulty. So when we moved back to Oklahoma, we said, we're all in. 
this whole community thing, the family of God, we're in no matter how difficult and challenging it is. Okay, the last thing I want to end with here. David, why don't you come up? We're right at 12, but that's okay, isn't it? I want to just say this. This is the fifth thing the Lord is saying. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. You can write this down, look at it later, but in Galatians 2.10, the Apostle Paul is discussing his interaction with the other church leaders. And he says, the other church leaders told me this. Remember one thing. Remember the poor. And so as we become a vineyard, this is part of our legacy, part of our heritage, is that we give our time, our talent, and our treasure to the poor. And the poor isn't just one category or one kind of one monolithic idea. The poor is the marginalized. The poor can mean the poor in spirit, can mean the monetarily poor, can mean those who have no voice. It can mean trafficked human beings. It can mean many things. But I just want to say that I think as we enter this season, the Lord wants us to remember the poor. And David has a story that we're going to end with. And then Wallace, you can come up and we'll lead into ministry time. David, why don't you share this story about your outreach to the poor? Okay. Um. The story we were talking about, we go out to MacArthur, we go out to MacArthur Avenue, and it occurred to me while we were in worship, the first time we went to this location was the weekend that the vineyard were here, and as a group, everybody prayed over us and the start of this new ministry at this new location. So as we were there the first day, uh, we met a gentleman named Bobby who came up, and he was in a wheelchair, had been in a wheelchair for years. Uh, legs were swollen, um, just not a real happy person, just came out. And he allowed us to pray over, a group of us, to pray over him for healing. Uh, when we went back two weeks later, he was there, and he was standing. His legs were still swollen, but he was walking, and he was moving with the wheelchair. His mother was ecstatic, but she was helping him. So we prayed again, and we prayed for the healing of his legs, that the pain would go away, that the swelling would go away. And as we were praying for it, the following week we came over. So this was over a six-week period. Um, he come walking up, free of any wheelchair, free of any help, looking for work, saying his next job he was looking for work. Uh, we have met so many people out there that are just hungry for the Lord. And each day they're allowing us to bring them closer, which has been a complete privilege. We've got to pray for people for complete deliverance out there. Uh, where a gentleman just out of nowhere just threw his hands up and started speaking in tongues as we were pulling him. Because he said somebody was telling him to hurt himself. And he was cutting himself completely. And... It's just been amazing, and these people feel lost, and they're just looking for attention, and that's what we're doing. We're just spreading God's love in the way that they need it. So. Thank you. Thanks, brother. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom.